Lord God, we thank you for today. Lord, I want to pray specifically this morning for our Turkish brothers and sisters who are upstairs. Lord God, I pray that the word of God would stir in their hearts, Lord God, like a fire. Lord God, I pray that you would strengthen them. Lord God, I pray that you would do miracles in this city. Lord God, we ask that your glory would be renowned. Lord God, that this church would last years and years, generations upon generations. Lord God, that even after we have long been gone, this church is still standing until you return. God, we ask that you would do a mighty miracle among us. We pray for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can open up with me to Jude, the book of Jude. It is the second book of the Bible right before Revelation, second to last. So Jude is a very small letter. Uh, It is one chapter long, but it is incredibly powerful. We're going to be starting this new series in the book of Jude, and we're going to go verse by verse. We're going to go fairly slow through this letter, um, and we're going to start this with a new year. As we begin, what I pray, 2022, I pray and believe that it will be the most fruitful year of the church in the history of Fetier. And as we start this, I want to start with reminding us of the very thing that makes a church a church. What makes a church that lasts, which is the gospel of Jesus. I chose the book of Jude because Jude is writing to a church that is in the midst of people trying to dilute the very thing that makes a church a church. And therefore, he calls the people of God, the true church, to contend for the faith. As this year begins, I also want us to have a clear vision of where this church is going, but also a deep conviction of what makes the church a church at all. Often churches grow. As they grow, they get diluted. By having to please the audience, by growing bigger and making everybody happy. But let me make it clear for this church here, the only good thing about the church is the presence, the pleasure, and the glory of God. If we lose Him so that we can grow big, The church will cease being a church and you can mark its end. Therefore, to start our new year, rather than looking forward to what could be, we're going to look back together at the glories of the gospel and also the dangers that come to a church that lose it. Jude is a one-chapter letter written to one of the first century churches by Jude, and he Uh, refers to himself as the brother of James. Now, this actually also makes him a brother of Jesus Christ. However, Jude does not flaunt his bloodline. He could start his letter by saying, you must listen to me because I am a blood brother of Jesus Christ, your Savior. Jude could say, because of who I am, you must listen. But Jude doesn't even identify himself as a brother of Jesus, but rather as a servant of Jesus. 
Jude knew that though they may have had the same mother, James and Jude were not equals with Jesus. They were servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we begin this letter in this year, let this first verse, the way Jude identifies himself and the introduction that he gives, lay an important foundation for us at the beginning of the year. Jude commands the church not on his own authority as a brother of Jesus, but on Jesus's authority. He speaks as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jude is not writing as the authority. He's writing as a servant of Jesus. Now, why? Why does that matter so much? Because Jude knows the church is not his. It's God's church given to Jesus Christ. And Jude is simply writing as his humble servant. We as a church are not professionals. A pastor is not my job. We are not the most educated or the elite or a special club or clique, nor are we trying to figure out how to make a church that lasts. No, we are servants seeking to honor our king. The gospel changes us into servants of God. The head of the church is not the pastor or the member. The head of the church, the leader of the church, the shepherd of the church is Jesus Christ himself. This church, we'll say it again and again and again, is not an American church, a British church, a Turkish church, a South African church, a Russian church. The church is Jesus's church. And we all get to be a part of it. This is one of the primary foundations of the church because it shows that the person to make all the decisions or to define the church vision is not first us. It's first God through his word. The church is only a church when we do what our king wants. If we want to be a church that lasts, we must do church God's way. As our brother Tice says, if it's God's baby, he'll kiss it. Not, it's not a cultural way or a popular way. We want the king's way. Jude warns the church of becoming something that God doesn't desire and calls the church in the letter of Jude to contend for, to fight for, to stand up for, to be a church that glorifies God and holds to the gospel. So as we open our Bibles and begin this letter, let us prepare our hearts this year, come what may, in all circumstances, to contend for the eternal faith, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today I'm going to read for us Jude, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, And brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to to contend for the faith 
that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Okay, as we begin our study, I want to remind us that it is the belief in the gospel of Jesus that makes us a part of the church. You want to really become a part of the church? Believe in Jesus. He and he alone is the only one who brings us into the eternal kingdom of God. Now, what is the gospel? It's the gospel, belief in that gospel that makes us a part of the church, that makes us Christians. But what is it? The gospel, that word has been used for so many things. But let me remind us, the gospel is not a sweet smile. It is not the loving actions of people. Though all of these are good and may involve all of this, the gospel is the historical facts about what Jesus did while he was on earth. The gospel is the good news, literally like news going out in a paper, the good news. It is the loving, it is the good news about what Jesus did in order to forgive us of our sin and redeem us back to God to make us a part of his church. Now, there are so many aspects about the gospel and applications to what Jesus accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection. But today I want to remind us, as we get started with the topic of the gospel, the goal of the gospel. The goal of the gospel is not to give us forgiveness of sins. It's not to give us redemption. The goal is to give us forgiveness so that we can get to God. Forgiveness and all the other benefits are means to the goal of making a sinner into a beloved child of God. They are means to bringing us to Him, to know Him, to love Him, to experience His grace. Now, here... It's here, in this, this, what I just said, is the historical facts. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Jesus took on flesh. Fact. He lived a perfect life according to the law. Fact. Jesus died in the presence of, in the place of sinners and rose again from the dead three days later. He ascended into heaven and is preparing a place for all those who believe in him. This is the written word of God. It's the fact. It's the news. The truth of the gospel is the historic facts about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. But belief in that gospel, in that truth, that changes us completely. To be A Christian, we don't simply confess true facts. We believe them for ourselves. We believe that Jesus came and lived for me. He died for me, for David Taylor, for you. He rose again from the dead for me. God so loved me that he gave his only son so that 
he could renew a relationship with me. And that belief, that astounding truth, changes me completely. The gospel is truth. But faith in the gospel is experience. It is the Christian life. It is felt and lived and experienced. Let's get into these verses. Verses 1 through the first part of 3. Let's look at Jude's letter again. Jude calls sinners, right, in verse 1, the beloved of God. He says that they were kept, protected, separated, saved for Jesus Christ. Church, you were saved for Jesus. He wanted you. This is so important. You and I were not saved to do ministry. Not to clean up our act or to be a better person. Not to pay God off over time. You were saved because even while you were a sinner, God chose to pour out his love upon you and came to earth to save you from your sin so that he could have you for himself. That's good news. Church, Christianity, without a relationship with Jesus, a living relationship with Jesus, is awful. And it is just like every other godless show of a religion around the world. But those who know God, they're different. They're light in the darkness. They're salt of the earth. The church was saved to love God, to enjoy him, to be happy in him. We were bought by the very blood of God not to wonder Am I possibly maybe saved? Does he maybe like me today? No, we were bought so that we had a total guarantee that we're his. That we will be saved because our salvation is from him. Church, when we believe this gospel, not just say the word, not just write it on paper as good doctrine. When we believe this, prayer is not boring. Bible reading is not a chore. Service is not mandatory. Worship is not obligated. It is the heart response that is full of joy and love for the God that saved us. When we gather together, we worship, we pray, we love, we sing, we laugh, we cry, we listen, we serve, all because God is in our midst. The church is not a business. It is a communal life together dedicated to God. This is the power of believing the gospel. When we pray for the sick, it says they're healed. When we share the gospel, people are transformed. Demons flee. Angels rejoice. The church grows and God gets all the glory. That's the power of the gospel when it's believed. Families are restored. Marriages are healed. Relationships are mended. Justice is upheld. Communities are changed. Truth is told. Darkness is defeated. Addictions broken. And cities actually transformed. Lives made new. This 
is the power of the gospel when it's believed. Jude writes in verse 3, I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. If Jude could talk to the church about anything, it would not be gossip or politics or church structure or business plans or holiday plans or any other temporary nonsense Jude eagerly wanted to talk to the church about their common salvation. Jude, gathering with the church, wanted to talk about the gospel. Church, what fills our conversations? Not every single word needs to be about the gospel. But when we gather together inside or outside the church... Or the building. What do we spend our time talking about? Is it not the gospel that should be our treasure and aim of every conversation? The upbuilding of our brothers and sisters, not the tearing down. This was Jude's eager desire, his one hope for how to spend his time writing a letter and talking with the church. And yet... Something diverted this eager desire. The very thing Jude wanted to rejoice with the church about was the very thing under attack. And therefore Jude's letter turns from rejoicing in the gospel to defending it. Verses 3 through 4, Jude says in verse 3, That although he wanted to write about their common salvation, he found it necessary to warn the church about the things that could kill a church. He says in verse 4 that certain people have crept into the church unnoticed. These people, as we will see in the coming weeks, are non-Christian people who use Christian language but don't know God. Let me say it again. These are not Christian people who use Christian language, but don't know God. They may be able to quote the gospel perfectly, but they don't believe it. They are religious and maybe even nice people, but through their lives pervert the grace of God and even deny our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before we start looking around the room searching for who this person might be among us, let me do some explaining. First, anybody and everybody is welcome to come to the Lord's church. Praise God. We are thankful that everybody in this room has come to listen and to hear about the gospel. And maybe you have not put your faith in Christ yet. This type of person who has come in among the church is not just a non-Christian curious about Christianity. This person claims to be a Christian, but doesn't want to submit to Jesus like a servant. They may know truths about Jesus, but they don't know him. Their lives are proof that their lives have not been touched by that knowledge. This person can be among us, or on Facebook, or on TV, or in a book you've read. And what's so dangerous 
is that he or she may look great, but it is destroying the very faith that makes a church a church. The danger of the wolf among sheep is that they offer you God without Jesus. Forgiveness without a cross. Life without resurrection. And community without blood. I don't know how many people have ever heard of Oprah Winfrey. She said, I love Jesus. I love God. But we do not need a bleeding Savior. Get rid of the cross and I'll take Jesus. Let us remember Satan's desire for the church is not poverty or riches. Big or small. Powerful or weak. All he wants. All Satan wants for this church is for Jesus to be removed. Call it whatever religion you want. Sing however beautifully you want. Just don't believe in Jesus. Let's talk but not about Jesus. Let's sing but not about a God man. Let's preach but don't hurt feelings. Let's get bigger but don't go the hard road. People don't want to put on their back a cross. These people, books or ideas, is a Christless Christianity because they want both God and the world. They want God and money. They want God and fame. They want God and comfort. And Jesus won't let them have it. Church, it all comes down to Jude's introduction. We as a church must get to a place where we're servants, not kings. The problem with these type of people or books or ideas is that they want to be kings and use God as their servant. Over the next several weeks, we will see what these people or ideas look like and the unnoticed destruction that they can bring But let us remember as we examine these people, there are two ditches that we can fall into when we think about this type of person or idea. The first is to think that we're not like them. Or to think that I will never doubt Jesus. But the truth is, even the disciples said, we believe, Lord, but help our unbelief. We need to realize this person could be you. The second ditch is to know that these people or ideas, to know it, but to do nothing about it. Jude's remedy for both is to contend for the faith. Now, what does that mean? First, contending is standing against anything that opposes our true faith in the gospel. But second, it is also standing in that faith ourselves. There's a true story about a man who was protesting an unjust war and was walking in the frigid cold weather through the snow, contending against all the people going to war. Then someone turned to him and saw all of his misery and said, Listen, man, what are you doing? Don't you realize that you will never ultimately change them? And he replied like this, 
I am not just trying to change them, sir. This effort and this contending is so that they don't change me. Part of our believing the gospel is contending for it. It is not just against others, but it is also us strengthening our own faith. Church, when someone denies Jesus and claims that he's not God or did not die or could not have risen from the dead in our scientific age, we must contend for these truths, but not only because they are pillars of our faith, but also because these are true, reliable, historical facts. Jesus came, lived, died, and rose again. When you believe this, that he not only came, but he's still alive. He's with us. That changes everything. Knowing our faith and believing our faith are true, crucial foundations for a church that's going to last. Therefore, this year, may we not only come to know more about Jesus and what he did, but also believe these truths personally in such a way that we are changed and the church is preserved. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord God, we need you. Lord, I think all of us could make a list of all the things that could get better about our meetings or about the community. Lord God, the true thing that needs to change is our faith in you, our love for you. Lord, when that changes, the church just naturally becomes a church. So God, would you, as David prayed, search us and know us and see if within us there is any offensive way and lead us into the way everlasting. God, I pray this for myself. Lord, as you said, the furnace is for gold, the crucible for silver, but the Lord tests the hearts of man. Test us, Lord. May our faith be genuine and real. May it be living, and may it be the very thing that holds us together. I pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.